You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. So on nights before I fly, I don't sleep. I, I typically toss and turn, and I feel nauseous and exhausted I wake up early well before my alarm, I can't eat breakfast, I don't drink coffee, my mind races and my chest feels tight. My breath is always short and my muscles are always tense and travel for me is typically when my situational anxiety feels the strongest. I know it's irrational, fear is the safest method of flying or is Flying is the safest method of travel, but rationality doesn't help with my anxiety. Anxiety by its nature is irrational, illogical, and physical. Right, not only does logic not help my anxious mind, but my, my body, my, my physical body betrays my mind as well. The shortness of breath, the tightness of my chest, the slight nausea add to the data that something is wrong that I'm in trouble. And I understand that my anxiety is somewhere in the middle. Like all of us on one end of the spectrum probably get a little bit anxious about a hard conversation or public speaking or getting on a roller coaster or whatever. And then, and then a few of us like me get really, really fearful and anxious about certain situations. We have situational anxiety and it gets the fear and worry gets kind of out of control. There's no way to stop it. And, and the spiral of physical and mental manifestations goes down and down and down. And maybe for a few of us, uh, even, even more of us, anxiety could last for days or even months. Right? Some of you might live in a longer constant state of anxiety with all the physical man's manifestations looming for days. Right, so for some of us, anxiety is something small. For some of us, it's something large but situational. And for others, it's chronic. It's chronic. It, it keeps going and going and going. I'm going to trade mics real quick. Thank you. But, so, so if for some of us, it's situational, individual, chronic, etc., we should also know that, that we aren't alone in our anxiety, right? Anxiety can be isolating, but we also live in the age of communal anxiety. We live in both a world of globalized trade, but also worldwide terrorism. We have the ability to communicate in an instant, but communities seem more fragmented than ever. And there is a louder call for personal freedom in our society, but increasingly confused identity. We see astounding medical advances, but greater worry about our health. We're living longer than we ever have, but it hasn't made the worry of death go away. Right? We're living in a time of unprecedented freedom and prosperity, but we see and experience remarkable anxiety about the future, not only in our personal lives, but nationally. And anxiety at its root is, is fear and worry exaggerated, right? Worry is anticipation. Something is coming. We worry about what, what might happen or what might not happen. We worry about what we can, can control and what we can't control. 
The worry is just slight concern about the future, but worry turns to fear when we feel that the threat is larger, that, that maybe the situation is more dire or there's more at stake. And then fear gives way to anxiety when reason and logic fail. It goes out the window and our body reacts, right? Like I've heard the statistics, flying is safe. And most people don't get sick on a flight. People on the plane are excited about a vacation or they're simply going to the next business meeting, but that data doesn't matter to me. My mind fixates on the big metal tube hurling through the air full of six people at a speed I can't fathom without even a window to crack to get some fresh air. I sweat, I tense up, my leg shakes, I'd pace if I wasn't strapped down. And so in whatever scenario that causes anxiety, right, the body will react. The body doesn't get the message that there isn't really a threat. In our panic, our heart speeds up, we sweat, we have tension headaches, clenched jaws, sleepiness, rapid breathing, loss of appetite, high blood pressure, tight necks, and back and shoulders. So this morning, I want us to start with the question of why does any of this happen? Why does fear and, and then fear out of control, why does anxiety even exist? Well, we could go all the way back and, and realize that our world has fallen, right? In the garden, after Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the forbidden tree, they first experienced shame. Shame over who they are in their nakedness and shame in light of what they had done that they had disobeyed God. And in an attempt to cover their shame, they clothed themselves with leaves. And the very next emotion they experience is fear. They hear God walking in the garden, and they become very afraid. And they were right to fear him because they truly didn't understand the cost of what they had done. And through that event, known as the false sin entered the world, and so did death. And when death became a reality, so did the fear of death. We're no longer safe in the garden. Right? Humans were cast outside the garden, and threats were everywhere. Animals, illness. And we soon learn, through the story of Cain and Abel, that we should fear murder and man as well. Right? The knowledge of the fruit... The, the knowledge of good and evil that eating the fruit provided wasn't worth the price that it cost. And fear and shame and death enter our world. And we should remember that um, throughout the Bible we're going to talk about or we're going to see stories of fear. But we're also, we also should know that fear isn't a wholly negative emotion. Right? The Bible says to fear the Lord. And that fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of God signifies mental and emotional health, so there are appropriate times to feel better, and there are appropriate times to feel fear. But those times are related to our reverence of the power, uh, of the power and the might of a, of a God of the universe who could end all things but chooses instead to call us son and daughter. Right, so there are good times when fear is appropriate. But this morning we look at Psalm 56, where um, we're going to talk about David 
and the fear that he was feeling that wasn't appropriate. And the book of Psalms is not a history book, right? It's, it's a book of songs, and more than songs, sung prayers to God. But these words were spoken and sung and prayed by the people of God in situations, in real situations in history. So we should kind of do a little bit of work to see what that history is. So let's, before we look at actually walk through Psalm 56, let's, let's talk about the history. So Psalm 56 was written by David, an Old Testament hero, an eventual king of the people of Israel. David was a shepherd who rises to fame after f- defeating Goliath, the, the giant Philistine. But God chooses David to be the future king of Israel because of David's radical trust and radical humility. And therefore, God exalts David by raising him as a general under the current king, Saul. And David experiences success after success after success on the battlefield. And because of that success, his fame and popularity continue to grow. But the current king, Saul, takes notice, and he becomes very, very jealous And eventually he becomes enraged and decides to kill David. And he pursues David. David flees, gets wind of this, and flees. But Saul pursues David in order to kill him. And so the tone of this song, of Psalm 56, is that. David fleeing for his life and David being sure that they are going to overrun and kill him. I want us to imagine David's fear and anxiety in this situation. And as we read through the psalm again together right now, if you have your Bible, follow along and notice the two kind of camps of what David prays. He prays the reality of his fear, but also the measure of his trust in God. So let's read it together. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long my attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps, and they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So given the situation, David literally running for his life and fearing that he would be killed, David comes to the Lord in prayer here. But we should notice that he never downplays the reality of his sincere fear and sincere anxiety. 
He brings the fullness of what he's experiencing to God. Right? In verse 1, he asks for God to be gracious or merciful because the oppressed, he is oppressed and trampled and attacked. And in verse 5, he says, all day long they injure my cause. Their thoughts are against him. They're stirring up conflict and causing more and more anxiety for him. And in verse 7, David's anxiety kind of reaches its climax. His mind goes to the worst case scenario. Not only am I going to die, not only could I die right now, they're also going to get away with it. Right? David worries that he will die and that justice will not be done to his killers. But in, in his anxiety and fear, David brings the fullness of the reality of the situation to God, and he brings God this reality of what's going on in his mind and in his heart and in his body. And while he is concerned for his life, his mind, right, spirals into the things that haven't even happened yet. He also brings something else. He brings God his trust. Right? Look at, uh, look at verse 3 and 4. When, I'm a, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. I praise you. I trust you. What can flesh do to me? Right? And these verses are mirrored in 10 and 11. I will praise your word. I will trust in you. What can man do to me? And the emotional epicenter of the psalm is verse 8 and 9. Right, the beautiful picture of anxiety and fear met with trust in God. You have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? So David's sleepless nights, full of tossing, and our sleepless nights, full of anxious tossing, are counted by the God of the universe. The tears of the fearful are stored by God. He keeps record of them. And here's the, the point of the sung prayer in Psalm 56. David's fear feels out of control. His life is certainly out of his control at this point. He doesn't know whether he will live or die or if justice will be done or not done. But he doesn't pray that God would just take away his fear. He instead prays for trust that would rise up and pair with his fear. Trusting God that rises to the level of anxiety. Right? Verse 1 and 2 show his fear and the reality of the situation, but verse 3 and 4 show his trust and where he places his trust. And then verses 5 through 7 again show the reality of the situation, the anxiety that he's experiencing, the worst case scenarios, but verse, verses 8 through 11 show us a mirror of 3 and 4, where David places his trust. It's intentional to go back and forth between the reality of the fearful situation for David and the trust that he has and is praying for in God. So David isn't pouring out his fear and anxiety to God so that God will make him brave or rational. He is confessing his fear and anxiety in light of God's power and sovereignty in which he trusts. He hopes that God will bolster his faith rather than bolster his bravery. 
right? He prays this to imagine and remind himself that God knows, God sees, God cares, God counts his tossing, his tears are stored. He trusts that God sees and hears his fears and anxieties. And even more, in verse 7, he prays not only just for trust, but that God would fight for him. And we can do this too. In our fear and anxiety, not only can we pray for trust that matches or overtakes our anxiety, we can also pray that God would fight for us, that he would take up his shield and his sword and defend an attack on our behalf, to defend us against the anxiety spiral and to attack the fearful thoughts before they come in our mind. At the end of the psalm, verse 12 and 13, we get a picture of hope that David has and a, a, a recommended course of treatment from David. He says this, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So David's fear and his trust both overflow into a reminder of what he should be doing and who he is. They, they overflow into a reminder of the station of his soul. While his physical body is tossing in fear and anxiety and his life really does hang by a thread, he assures himself of the station of his soul, that he has been delivered from death. And we as, as followers of Jesus can trust in the same, right? That our soul has been delivered from death. Just last week at the end of the Gospel of Luke, we read about a resurrected Jesus who on the road to Emmaus meets the disciples and teaches them about who he is and what he has done. And he teaches it from Scripture, and because this psalm is God's word, it's Scripture, that means this tossing and anxiety can be ascribed to Jesus as well, who John calls the Word made flesh, the Word of God as a man. And how could this be? Well, if we look back to an account um, that we kind of visited on Good Friday, on the night and early morning before Jesus is delivered to be crucified, we see that he, he experiences really all of the anxiety and fear that David does. Right? In, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, it says this, Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled, and then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And he falls on his face, and he prays, and he says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He says that three times. So God is intimately acquainted. He knows our fear and our anxiety. And I believe this account here shows us an anxious and fearful Jesus. But we should be clear also, let me be clear, that Jesus' fear is not sinful in any way. His fear is actually completely merited because he's about to take up a cross. And by doing so, he will not only die, but he will die in taking upon himself the sins of the entire world. 
And we who follow Jesus and trust in him, we won't know what it's like to bear even our own sin. We won't know what it's like to experience God's wrath, let alone carry the weight of the world's sin. So Jesus' fear and anxiety is quite merited in the garden before his crucifixion. But while it's merited, it's still married to perfect trust in the Father, right? He says, not my will, but yours be done. I trust you. So even in Jesus, his, his merited fear and anxiety is met by perfect trust. And going back to the psalm, we'll see that Jesus embodies this prayer in a lot of ways, that his enemies pursued him and captured him and actually did destroy his flesh. And yet we know from Easter that Jesus rose victorious over sin and of death. Right? His trust was not misplaced in the Father. His trust was perfectly placed in the Father because he was victorious and he rose. And he ascended to a throne and rules even now as Savior and Lord. So for us, verse 13 of the psalm is true. Jesus did deliver our soul from death but because his soul was delivered to death on our behalf. And because of this, the end of the psalm kind of gives us a, a small picture of what this means, that we can now live and walk lives of righteousness, doing good not because we want to earn anything, but because we have been saved, because our souls have been delivered from death. Jesus accomplished it all on the cross. But even in our new lives of righteousness, we're not robotic. We still have emotion. We still struggle with sin. We still fail to trust. But our hope and our prayer is that our trust in the Lord would sustain us. And our prayer is that our trust would be risen to match our fear and our anxiety. So what should we do? Where do we go from here? Specifically for those who suffer with anxiety, whether situationally or chronic anxiety, I have four things. And if you don't suffer from anxiety, I guarantee you know someone who does. And you can learn through these four things maybe how to support them and pray for them and care for them. Well, the first is kind of my whole point this whole morning is that we should marry our fear with trust. Fear doesn't get eradicated yet. Fear doesn't go away yet. But we can marry it to trust in the Lord. Right? Instead of anxiety maybe going away forever, we can hope in and trust in the God who delivered our souls from death. And we can pray this psalm. When we're anxious and fearful, we can pray this psalm. We can pray this psalm over one another. When we come and kind of confess or tell about our anxieties and our worries. 
The fear and anxiety that entered the world at the fall are still here. But because of Jesus' resurrection, the day is coming where fear and anxiety will be no more. The day is coming where the tears that God keeps in a bottle will instead be wiped away by his own hand. Where our anxious tossing turns into celebratory dancing with a meal, with rejoicing, with singing, in victory. Our new resurrected bodies will not experience the tossings of anxiety. That's a place to put our hope. Well, point two, so in this in-between, right, in the in-between between Jesus' resurrection and our future resurrection, what, what should we do? Well, verse 12 says, David says, I must perform my vows to God and render thank offerings. Very practically, in David's distress, he remembers, the God, remembers God and the promises that God has given, and he has gratitude. So for us, one way to build our trust so that it will match our anxiety is simply to come to the gathering, to take the bread and the cup every Sunday and to remember the covenant of grace that Jesus bought with his broken body and his shed blood. David, on the run for his life, turns to worship, to covenant renewal, to gratitude, and to upright walking. Right? It's not in the absence of fear that we build our trust. But in the face of fear and anxiety, we will build our trust together. So when I am anxious, I need to come to the Lord, I need to run to the cross, and I need to feast on grace. To eat the bread and drink the cup, that sustaining life of God that is found there. Weekly acts like this will build our trust. Three, if anxiety is something you struggle with in a unique way, you might need to open yourself up to your parish or your parish leaders. You might need to explore a recovery group. You might need to speak with a pastor. And you might need to be connected with a counseling resource. We have options and opportunities and resources here available to you to explore the ways you struggle with this emotion, with, with anxiety. You're not alone. It's not something you have to suffer with alone. Right? The beauty of community means we bear one another's burdens. It means we're in this together. So we can teach each other how to trust God. We can run to the cross together. We can kneel at the foot, feet of Jesus and pray with one another. And we can show each other where to hope. And fourth and finally, we can pray. And this is kind of everything wrapped up into one, right? This whole sermon and all the next four weeks sermons are going to be about prayers, specific prayers. But that's because prayer is the best tool for all of our emotions, whether it's praising when we experience joy, gratitude when we feel blessed by God, and lamenting when we're sad. 
We can communicate and lay our fears and anxieties at the feet of the king. And that's the essence of what David does in this psalm. To cultivate the trust that we're talking about that will match our fear and anxiety, we can pray. We have been given the gift of the Spirit of God that allows us to pray earnestly to the Father. And we've been given Jesus, a king who perfects our broken prayers. But God in his graciousness and wisdom has given us a book of prayer throughout the Bible, but also specifically here in the Psalms. There's 150 of them, and we can use them. So this morning as we conclude, we remember that as we come to the table and when we pray the Psalms, not only this morning, but all during the week. So let's come before God now in prayer. Be gracious to us, O God, for man tramples on us. All day long an attacker oppresses us. Our enemies trample on us all day long, for many attack me proudly. When we are afraid, would we put our trust in you? In you, God, whose word we praise. In you we trust. We shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to us? All day long they injure our cause. All their thoughts are against us for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch our steps as they have waited for our life. For their crime will they escape. In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. But Lord, will we remember this, that you have kept count of our tossings. You have put our tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then our enemies will turn back. In the day when I call, this I know, that God is for us. In God, whose word we praise, in the Lord, whose word we praise, in God we trust, we shall not be afraid. What can man do to us? Lord, would we perform our vows to you, O God, that we would render thank offerings to you, for we have been delivered, our souls from death, and our feet from falling, that we would walk before you in the light of life. Lord, would we be a people of humility, of love, of peace, of comfort, and of trust. Lord, would you give us trust that matches our fears, and would we, as individuals who struggle with fear and anxiety, would we run to your cross, sit at your feet, and pray. And Lord, we hope in a day where where fear and anxiety are no more. But until that day comes, would you build in us trust in you through prayer, through the gathering, through communion, and through community, and through multiple other ways. Lord, we love you. We trust you. Would you make that true? In your name we pray. Amen.